0: 2024 is all about, honestly, getting more people on the system. Like, it's so good. I just want more restaurants using it and to see how different the world is when you approach it this way. Uh, so that's what 2024 is all about. I think it will continue to be a lot of more delivery-centric uh, type restaurants, uh, folks who are doing significant delivery volumes. Um, so it's probably not going to be, you know, the the dine-in restaurant that does 10 out the back door Uh, that's probably not for us. But uh, for folks who are, you know, pay first, get food second models that do a lot of delivery, uh, we are great for that. And I can't wait to see it being used by lots and lots of people.
1: Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angela Spazito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're gonna be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do welcome to another episode of whisking it all we're here today with meredith sandlind ceo of empower delivery meredith thank you for being here with me today
0: thank you for having me i'm super excited to do this every time i say whisking it all i like get a little giggle i love it
1: (laughs) yeah a little play on words there um As always, we like to start off with kind of what you're currently doing and what is Empower Delivery. So just we'll obviously go into more detail, but at a high level, can you share with our audience what is Empower Delivery?
0: Yeah, Empower Delivery is an end-to-end order-to-fulfillment system. Uh, So what that means is it handles orders coming in from anywhere, first party, third party, in-store. They go all into our I call it central brain. It's like the brain of the kitchen, and it's you know part POS, part KDS, part CDP. It's got a lot of stuff going on in there, uh, and then uh, fulfills it out uh, any possible way, either uh, for consumer pickup on site, uh, via first-party delivery, or via third-party delivery. And then the thing that's interesting about that first-party delivery, and unlike any other system out there, is that it enables a restaurant to have its own 1099 fleet of gig workers. And uh, that is really, really powerful in terms of reducing the actual cost of delivery. Uh, Because it's an all-in-one system, we're able to time together all of those um, activities. And our delivery drivers, therefore, are super efficient and uh, between no markup to some third party And uh, lots and lots of efficiency, it turns out that it's cheaper.
1: I love that. That's amazing. So we'll definitely dive more into that. But one of the things I always love to learn is why people are doing what they're doing today and kind of what got them there. So... I'd love to kind of just go back a bit and then we'll we'll definitely focus on Empowered Delivery. But maybe, you know, obviously I was creeping on your LinkedIn, trying to understand some of the things you did. And one of the things that obviously stood out was uh, being the the chief development officer at uh, at, at Taco Bell. Um, So I'd love to understand like where you were. Right. And then kind of what led you to the inception of. Empower Delivery. Like, how did those experiences lead you to wanting to solve this specific problem?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was at Taco Bell in the old, old days when only pizza sold online and the rest of us were just, you know, hanging out, uh, selling things in restaurants like, you know, we had no (laughs) idea. And um, we were... Uh, building lots and lots of Taco Bells. About a, about halfway through the journey of building a thousand Taco Bells, I thought it's really weird that we're building these next to malls when no one goes to malls anymore. Mm. And all of those Taco Bells are still doing just fine, thank you. But um, but it planted a seed in my mind, and that seed only grew when I met a tool suit at Kitchen United, and we just met for lunch. And he's like, "Why don't you come over and see what we're doing?" And I walked into that very first location, and I thought oh my gosh, they're making what I, as the consumer, wish that we had. Because at the time, or the customer, uh, at the time, we were trying to figure out, as Taco Bell, trying to figure out how to enter urban environments like Manhattan. And we thought it was very strange that you would pay the world's most expensive real estate dollar for 40% of your sales to go out the door delivery. And we thought, gosh, it'd be so amazing if there was a commissary that you could deliver tacos out of. And then there it was in the form of a ghost kitchen. Now, um, you know, of course, ghost kitchens have gone through a lot of different iterations. And they've been in the news a lot lately. And I think um, folks have tried a lot of different models. And as I've looked around and what I've seen, the cluster truck model is the model that works. It is the largest and most profitable ghost kitchen in America and empower delivery spun out of cluster truck. It is the software that makes it so, uh, large and profitable. So, um, that's kind of how one thing led to another, um, in the, in the middle of that, of course, there was the book,
1: a hundred percent. Yeah, and I'd love to you know I'd love, love to chat about the book. And and then for people listening, what can you can you just elaborate on what a cluster truck is? Like what 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 is that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So cluster truck is a vertically integrated ghost kitchen or delivery kitchen. Um, you can think of it as almost like a pizza Delco delivery carryout unit, except it's serving all different kinds of cuisines, not just pizza. Um, but unlike other ghost kitchen models where they maybe have different kitchen suites and different operators inside of a giant building, this right. is one 2,200-square-foot 2, kitchen that's putting out, you know, 10 different kinds of cuisines uh, all under one brand, one operator, um, completely vertically integrated. Uh, they also take all the orders first party. I think the thing that's super crazy is that they're putting out 800 to 1,000 orders a day. Um all of them are first party and wow. all of them go out the door first party delivery, not just first party order. So there's no like DoorDash <laughs> or Uber involved, which is pretty mind blowing for anyone else who um, has been trying to do this. They're very dependent right. on the third parties that causes right. all kinds of uh, you know inefficiencies and expense. So it is it is wow. a very different model.
1: That's super interesting. And then you, you touched on it a little bit, but I know you you co authored Delivering the Digital Restaurant, your your roadmap to the future of food. Um, I'd love to hear and then I think was there was there a part two um in fact, is part are two. Or is that my imagination? In fact, there are two books. Okay, there is two books. Yeah, okay, I are, want to make sure there I are two books
0: for those who are Ooh, watching the video. Okay, yeah, yeah. This I'll is going to go on YouTube. One is navy, too. one is white. Um, okay. One is your roadmap to the future of food, and the other one is the path to digital maturity. That's it. Got yeah. it. Yeah, I love that. The first one is um, all about the why this is all happening. What's changing with the consumer? What are restaurants trying to do about it? What is happening with all the tech companies? And then the second book, uh, Your Roadmap, uh, sorry, The Path to Digital Maturity, that one is all about the how. Um, What should restaurants be doing first, second, third? How do they optimize themselves for this new digital world?
1: Interesting. And can you give people maybe a sneak peek? I think, number one, we'll definitely do a plug on where they can buy this book. So I'm assuming. People can go to Amazon. Do you want to do a quick plug, maybe a website? So where can people get a copy of this book?
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, well said. You can go to Amazon, uh, and the books are definitely available there, and And we'd be grateful if you bought one. But if you yeah. want to go direct, if you want to order first-party, first party,
1: <laughs> <yes, laughs> as yes. they
0: say in restaurants, right. um, you can go to uh, deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com, and you can Don't order me. the books okay. there.
1: OK, I love it. So delivering the digital dot com. You can order the books there. And if you like it, if you love it, leave a review. That always goes a long way. So please leave a review and maybe to give the listeners a little taste. I know there's there's kind of the how to. They'll have to buy it to know all the how-tos, but can you get the maybe, maybe like, you know, that, that first, you know, you're kind of saying it step one, step two. Can you, can you give us a little taste of what step one or yeah, step sure. two might look like?
0: Um, so step one is all about optimizing your presence on the first party or the third party platforms on the marketplaces. And, uh, I think the way I would say it is very much like Yoda do or do not, there is no try. Right. So if you hate the third parties and you resent them and you're kind of like half-assing it and as a leader in a restaurant, you have a bad attitude about it and that permeates down to your staff and they have a bad attitude about it. And therefore you're constantly making errors and deprioritizing those orders and, you know, whatever, it's not going to go well. Right. So why are you doing it? Um, and I think deciding, yep, we want this channel. And for some people, they don't. And that's perfectly fine. But then don't do it, right? Right. Um, if you decide that you want this channel of business, then you have to figure out, how am I going to do this well? And so that very first chapter is all about uh, getting on those third-party marketplaces, optimizing your presence on those mar- third-party marketplaces, being found, we call it. <laughs>
1: That's really cool. Okay, that's interesting. And so how many kind of parts is there to this kind of uh, uh, transformation, I guess?
0: Yeah, so um, that, that's the easy way to be digital, right? So any restaurant can go on a third-party marketplace and sell things online and yep. call it a day. Um, right. That's sort of the easy step one. And so uh, that is where the book starts because for Got many it. restaurants, that's the first place they go. Right. Once you've been found and, and people know you, and it's all about converting fans, and this is about your first-party ordering system. Uh, I, I'm sure you have this for your company. Do you have access to Brizo Food Metrics?
1: No, no. no. Oh no, my gosh, no. you have,
0: maybe you have CHG, but they they have okay. these um, uh, websites now that they basically like track every other website and what technology is being used on those websites, and so you oh, can okay, go through and find like all kinds of restaurants and what they're using. And so the other day I looked on it and. I found that there are 467 online ordering systems in the restaurant world. In North America. Wow.
1: 467. I can so, name me three.
0: <laughs> so you can imagine, first of all, if you're a restaurant, you're yeah. like, I don't even know what the difference is between all of these, nor could I. I'm not going to go research right. 467 of right. them, right? Like that that would be silly waste of time. But they are all quite different and some of them are quite bad Um not to name any names, but you can imagine <laughs> yeah. out of 467, there's probably a bell curve. Yeah, yeah, capability. Be a couple of bad ones. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the very first thing we talk about in the convert fans section is if you want consumers to order from you directly, no amount of like guilting them into it. Oh, it's better if you order from us directly, or discounting. Oh, you'll save Absolutely. 25% if you order directly. None of that will overcome a bad experience. And so the most important thing that you can do to get consumers to order from your first party website as a restaurant, the very most important thing you can do is have a great ordering experience, make it as easy and as frictionless as DoorDash and Uber Eats do. And unless you do that, you're just going
1: to be like yelling into the wind. Wow well said it but but i would imagine that uber eats and all obviously well, not imagine these companies obviously spend you know millions and millions of dollars to kind of make that user experience you know pretty friendly and testing and you know all that all that good stuff how would you how does a, a, an average let's say restaurant try to figure out that that ordering, you know, UX or UI.
0: Yeah, well, spoiler alert, Angelo. Of course, I think that Empower Delivery has the very best first-party ordering system. Now, the reason it's so good is because it's connected to the rest of the system, which no one else can do. Everyone is like a first-party ordering system that's layering on top of something else. And so it's a little bit disjointed. Um, But absolutely, I recommend using these first-party experiences, right? Like use your own. See what it's like. Use DoorDash. And even if you might be as a restaurateur saying, I hate DoorDash. I'm never going to order from them. Well, try it. Try it and see what the experience is like. And then try your own and see how they're different. And as a consumer, you will notice that there are differences. And there will be things that bug you that stand out. And then apply the same discipline whenever you're looking at a new system. Ask for a couple of their existing customers and go through the ordering process Mm -hmm. as though you're a consumer. And see what it's like. And you're going to, those differences are going to jump out to you where you're like, you know, I'm overwhelmed by the number of choices or I can't do a modifier in the way that I want to, or I have to enter my email address and a password in order to use the system. You know, all these little points of friction uh, that maybe you don't think too much of uh, and you kind of say, it's not a big deal for a consumer. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, they add up. They add up, and and on from your point of view, right? When a restaurant is looking for a first party delivery, and obviously we'll get more into empower delivery, but what are some of so user experience is big, but what are some of the key things to to look for, right? That like you said, there's so many out there. They're looking for something that you know ideally looks nice, uh, but beyond that, are there certain things you're like, listen, this is some key criteria that I would consider when trying to pick that first-party ordering, sorry, first-party ordering. ordering. experience, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, I think there is something to the restaurant approach of what is everyone else doing, Hmm. right? Um, That is easier, and I would say, you know, for brand new companies that are doing interesting things and they're just starting out and everyone else isn't using them, you know, consider those and see how they're different and new. Um, But for the older ones, for the legacy ones that have been around for a while, you can kind of tell who's who's decent at what they do because they've got more market share. Right. Got it. Um, So that's a good clue. And then I think uh, to me, it is count the clicks, which is a good indicator of the number of friction points. Right. So for me to successfully place an order, how many different buttons do I have to press to get through and right. on Amazon, the number of clicks, if you're a registered user, is three to buy an item. Great. So that's what we're trying to get to. I think on Doordash it's five right now. Most online ordering systems for restaurants, you're in the like seven, eight range. And oh, you can wow. see okay. if you're a consumer and you were uh used to three buttons and then you're done with Amazon, and then you go to a yeah. restaurant,
1: and you're like eight buttons in and you're like right. ah! This is right. so much, yeah, 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 <laughs> and it's funny because in 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 the restaurant world, this might seem like kind of like foreign, but in the tech world, it's like you know this is it's so I don't want to say obvious, but right, like it's like you, you, there's so much testing that's done around like oh this this form is. We're going to split up in three steps and put two, four, and let's try it with a drop down versus it. And it's the, yeah. the smallest things. And you're looking at these conversion rates for your, for your funnel or for booking a demo or mm-hmm. for whatever, but it's, it's, yeah, it's same thing applied to restaurants, totally. but it's it's so important. Totally. That's, that's awesome. And so on, on your end, right. Tell me a bit about what got you interested. So you spoke a bit about your experience from Taco Bell to then working, you know, kind of in that, that, that ghost kitchen space. And then what was the point where you're like, okay. This is interesting. I want to offer this to the world. Like, how did that transition happen? Where you're like, happen? I'm ready to start my own thing yeah, now. You know,
0: absolutely. So, uh, the founder of ClusterTrack, um, there are two two co-founders, but um, we'll talk a little bit about the one. His name is Chris yeah. Baggett. Um, he is a fascinating man. He was one of the co-founders of Exact Target, which sold for two and a half billion dollars to <laughs> Salesforce. Okay. And then he founded Compendium, which sold to Oracle. And as you do, after you, you know, had a couple of billion dollars in exits, you become a farmer.
1: <laughs> so there Natural. he was yeah.
0: farming and he found himself with a lot of beef. And so he became a restaurateur. Oh my and God. then he got into restaurants as a software guy. And he said, oh man, I can do this better. This is a hot ass. Right. And I met him literally on a panel at the food on demand conference. I don't know, uh, probably seven years ago now, a long time ago. And I just thought he was so smart. I mean, obviously, he's so smart having accomplished what he's accomplished.
1: right?
0: Um, and so I kept in touch with him the whole time and then ultimately became an investor in Cluster Truck because they were the only ghost kitchen that was doing like just phenomenal wow. numbers. And as a restaurant person, you look at that and you say, they're doing phenomenal numbers. They've got something figured out, right? Right. Uh, and I was talking to him one day. Um, I was interviewing for a job and I was telling him about the job and he said, wait, if you're going to like stop being a full-time writer and go get a job job, why don't you come work for us? And I was like, oh, that's very funny. I'm not going to do another startup, which is a story we'll get into in a minute. <laughs> but um, I, I'm going to go you know, back to my, my corporate life. And he said, yeah. no, no, just come see what we're doing. Just come look.
1: Classic. Yeah.
0: And so I went out to Indianapolis to see what they were doing. And I walked into the kitchen, and remember this kitchen is doing eight hundred to a thousand orders a day. Some of those orders are as big as like seventy top orders, right? It's a huge amount of food that's flowing through this kitchen. I walk Insane. in and it's silent, and I thought that's weird. They're like just listening that, to music, jamming away. No one's yelling at each other like that wow, yeah, that's it's weird, not, yeah. And I said, why are they so quiet? And he said, oh, because they're just doing what the software tells them to do when the software tells them to do it. Like, there is no human person saying, drop this, do you know, where's you, yeah. my? <laughs>
1: wow. It's
0: crazy. And so I was like, well, that's pretty impressive. And I said, all right, well, what are your labor costs? And he said, 19% of sales. And I said, OK, wow. yeah, fair. But you don't have a front of house. This is a delivery only kitchen, right? All you have is back house. So right, what are your delivery right. costs? And he said, my delivery costs are 7% of sales. And I said, wait, let me get this straight for 26%, which is four points lower than most people can run an entire restaurant.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You are scratch cooking everything, making to order and delivering it all the way to someone's home or office.
1: And he said, "Uh uh-huh. Yep.
0: And right then, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is just how restaurants
1: should be run. This is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. I'm sure people are listening are like dreaming of that number because, yeah, like you said, thirty percent is is good, <laughs> and that's like for yeah, everything. Right? So twenty is like, wow, that's it's ama- it's amazing.
0: Yeah, and it's it's quite remarkable. It's quite incredible. The turnover is lower at the facility because people are happier. Um, it's it's a less stressful job, right? Uh, And it's less stressful because of the way that the software operates.
1: That's so interesting. I'm just picturing this visual of like a typical back of house scenario in a restaurant or a quick service or full service. And I'm picturing this, this kind of just quiet and one with, you know, AirPods in or whatever. Just doing whatever. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's crazy. It's totally crazy.
1: That's amazing. My tech
0: team said, uh, um, because the software doesn't really go down like it, it pretty much just works. And Um. You know, so we were talking about how they handle uh, customer service calls and what they've been doing with Cluster Truck And they're like, we we really haven't got, gotten that many over the seven years because the software never goes down. And then they started laughing. Wow. I'm like, what? And they go, well, there was this one time they called us and they were like, oh, our radio stopped working. <laughs> Can
1: they you get that to work again?
0: They were like, <laughs> oh my God. dude, we're software engineers.
1: That's amazing. And so, and so let me ask you that. First of all, I'm just imagining this kitchen and this operation of 800,000 orders is like mind boggling and with those margins. Um, but so from there, is it that you were like, OK, how can I, t- I work this kind of concept and apply it you know, to, to any restaurant kind of thing? Is that how the, the, the next step, the evolution, I guess? It
0: makes as a first point of adoption, absolute sense for anyone who's doing a lot of deliveries. Right. So as you think about who does a lot of deliveries, it's a delivery kitchen or ghost kitchen setting. Yeah. It's a pizza restaurant that's putting out two or three or 400 orders a night. Right. It is um, Chinese. It is Indian Thai, you know, like that, that kind of sort of you imagine a delivery kitchen where they're not doing a whole lot in in store. But it also is, you know, a fast casual, high volume, fast casual that's doing $3 $3 million a year, 40% of it is delivery, right? And so, um, you know, you start very narrow uh, in startups, as I'm sure you yeah. remember from your own yeah. startup journey. If you start too broad, you uh, you cause a lot of problems. So you yeah. start very narrow with those um, delivery-only guys, but you kind of broaden out as you go uh, to serve a much broader target.
1: I love that, and so like for people to maybe just imagine, can can walk them through like what's you know someone's interested in power delivery, they want to you know level up their restaurant. What does what does the process look like? So you know, I know there's probably a few steps, like you said, because it's 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 the central brain, right? So what is what is the kind of maybe yeah, I guess onboarding process look like to say okay, I want to start using Empower Delivery, and maybe we can go walk through the different points that like Empower Delivery's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. hitting to to help these yeah. restaurateurs.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing is probably being motivated by what you could have and... And thinking through, and I think a lot of restaurants, frankly, are already in this space where they're like, man, I wish I could have the Starbucks system. I wish I could have the Chipotle system. I wish I could do what Domino's does. Right. And everyone tells restaurants, oh, data is so important. Don't give it up to the third parties. You need to have it in first party. But then they're like, what do I do with it once I have it? Right. And they're a little bit overwhelmed by it. They're swimming in it, trying to figure out um, how exactly to apply it to drive sales or, or reduce right. costs. So the first step is motivation. Like I want to be able to personalize 100% of my marketing. I want to be able to know who those third-party orders are and whether or not I was successful moving them over to first-party. I want to be able to give real-time quote times to my customers so they know exactly when their food is going to show up. I want to be able to dramatically reduce my delivery costs. Right? Those are all the kind of outcomes of having the software. And if you are motivated by those things, then you're going to look into the software. Step two is you got to accept that we're going to replace the POS. And um, a lot of restaurants, I think, see that as the heart of their system and they get a little nervous, um, but this system only works because it is the everything, right? So we're going to replace the everything. Uh, and then once you've kind of done those two things, you've got the motivation and you've accepted that we're going to replace the POS because this is a new paradigm and a new type of software, Right. Uh, you're ready to go. And then onboarding is relatively easy. You've got to put in some uh, touch screens for your back of house okay. uh, because that's how all the orders get timed together. And that's how the software is communicating with the line cooks to tell them uh, what to cook when. Uh, We use uh, sticky printers in both Back of House and at Expo in order to ensure accuracy throughout the order. Um, Our accuracy numbers are like, I I won't go so far as to say in the five nines, but they are, uh, we have about uh, less than 10 issues per thousand orders. Wow. Which is insane, right? Like a a fast food place would have, they'd be lucky if they had 10 issues per hundred orders. That would be a good day, right?
1: Wow.
0: Um, so we, we use printers to facilitate that. Um, so there would be a little bit of like ordering and then installing that hardware. Got it. And then other than that, it's pretty easy. Upload your menu and off you go. Probably need to wow. train your people a little bit. I'm we do find it. that um, very interesting uh, in most kitchens, the expo and or line cooks, they have um, spent so much time and effort thinking through what do I cook when and keeping track of all those items and knowing I've got to do this I've got to do this so that's part of their job that at first it's a little uncomfortable to seed that to a computer and to say I'm just going to trust what it tells me so there is a little bit of a learning curve there for the folks in back of house to see and then learn to trust that actually right. the computer is going to tell them the right thing at the right time because and, they're smart guys or yeah. and girls, like they know yeah. they yeah. they're they're
1: generally doing things at the right time. They right. know they can do it. They've never seen a computer do it. Right. That's interesting. And I, and what what's the reaction once they get used to the the computer doing it? Like, what's the kind of feedback you get from from them?
0: Yeah, and then they love it because yeah? you've got well, the quiet back of house. So there's no <laughs> stress, right? I, I I'm assuming that you've worked in a number of kitchens. Yeah. To end up where you've ended up and you know the feeling of orders just keep coming in and the kds is so full you can't even see where it ends or like things are coming off the printer chits are coming yeah, off the printer yeah. so fast that they're just like piling up and they're now completely out of order and yeah. you've lost you have no idea which one you're yeah. supposed to do for, like you've been in this situation right yeah. that is so stressful to the kitchen yeah. Every single person in the kitchen is like, well, now I'm effed, right? Like, (laughs) I can't possibly fix this situation. And everyone is mad at me. And the front of house is yelling, where's my thing? And, you know, consumers maybe are yelling over the counter at you. And
1: um,
0: I'm sure you've either had this experience in the kitchen or you've been the consumer on the other side, wondering where your coffee is and if you'll ever get it. Yeah, And um, the system that never happens because uh, we manage the load of how the kind of pacing of how those orders are coming into the kitchen. And so that never happens. And yes. once the staff sort of embraces and trusts, oh, it, the computer's going to tell me when it's supposed to, and that's okay. It's just like the whole <sighs> giant breath of fresh air. It's amazing.
1: That's awesome. Right. That's awesome. And then on the, uh, so. I'm loving it so far because I'm imagining this. And like you said, it's it's that number one feeling, that motivation and that that need to do something better and do it, you know, more optimally. Number two is being okay with switching that POS. Once they hit that hurdle and then they kind of see this, how does the 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 website part work? Because now, like, obviously, that's the the back house and the the, the printing for the ordering. What about the the first party ordering? You guys have your first party ordering for for them to kind of put on their website as well.
0: Yep. Um, we're Because we're replacing the part of the POS that does the menu management, that resides okay. in our system, right? Got it. So they would upload their menu and all the photos and everything to the brain, to the heart of the system, and that would push to the first-party ordering site. It would also oh, okay, push out it. to all the third-party ordering sites.
1: Oh, beautiful. So, so they do their menu once, third-party, first-party on the website, plus the actual POS itself, which is linked to your smart. Yep. And it would
0: all, it would push out to if you wanted to have a kiosk like anything that you
1: wow anything that
0: you wanted to yeah
1: wow really cool and so I, I like I gotta know like what was the experience like with one of like the early customers because obviously you know the more you get and then the more data you have and the more case studies you have obviously things get i mean things always get harder but generally things should get easier but you know you just get different problems but generally (laughs) (laughs) but but generally the sale becomes easier and people understand and you have see the value and you can you know you have more data on it but um i'm curious to know just more on the entrepreneurial side because we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show as well like what's that like getting your you know client number one and client number two where you're you know you're kind of they're taking a big leap of faith you know like at least the early customers what what did that look like i'd love to Hear a story if you can share one of the earlier customers.
0: You know, we are in an unusual position because we spun out of our earliest and biggest customers and we were co-designed, you know, the software was designed with the operations. And so they were learning together the entire way. And so a lot of the normal growing pains that a startup has, we were free from, right? We already knew the software worked. We already knew how it worked. We weren't giving something to someone that we had like thought of in a theoretical fashion and kind of fingers crossed, hope that it worked. (laughs) Um, so we were, we were free of a lot of that, which I think happens, uh, in some startups. And and frankly, that's why they tell startups to start with MVPs, right? Because you can be the smartest person in the world and think you know how it's going to work. But until you see someone interact with your baby, you have no idea if you came up with the right thing or not.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Um, so we were free from a lot of that, but not all of it. Right. And, um, you know, we were very blessed to have as our first customer Umi Kitchen, which is in Dallas. And Marcus Pinera there has been amazing in terms of giving feedback. He like every day he has thoughts <laughs> and you know, he is so detail oriented and he always looks at things. You know how he's describing like when you're looking at first party ordering systems, you should be going through it like a consumer. Yeah. He looks at absolutely everything from the role of the person who's using that, whether it's oh, wow. the consumer or the line cook or the right. driver. And that's so great. he's always thinking like they think. That's which is amazing. Great. We've been very, very blessed to have him.
1: Yeah. That, honestly, that's one of the things I think, and for restaurants listening, like at least I'll speak for myself and, and perhaps echo what you just said there. But when there is that good feedback of like that typical ideal you know customer profile it's amazing because you're you're getting like you know we joke around internally sometimes it's like it's like free free qa you know you got someone that's really <laughs> giving you like just real feedback and and you know just to tie to whisk real quick in the early days i mean still to this day but in the early days so many of like the good ideas that people are like oh that's so smart it was just real client pain like oh i'm doing my inventory and i'm in my fridge and there's no wi-fi and i can't do inventory and it's like oh man we should probably build an offline mode because yeah, maybe people have things in the basement or in a fridge. Like, but it's like over time, you keep adding these things up, and then like people are like, oh, wow, this is so smart. It's like, well, I got feedback from real people doing real things in the doing restaurant. Doing real things. Yeah. yeah, totally, 100%. So yeah, uh, that's that's uh, that's huge. Um and I'd love to know what's what's kind of like next for you guys. So like I'd love to hear where you guys are like at today. Right, it sounds like you're solving some real issues, um really helping restaurants. Like what's what's next for you guys? What are you working on let's say now and like what what would you like to do in the next, I guess, 2024, right? Like in the next, uh, What is 2024 like all about? 2024
0: yeah. is all about honestly getting more people on the system. Like it's so good. I just want more restaurants using it and to see how different the world is when you approach it this way. Uh, so that's what 2024 is all about. Um, I think that will be, I think it will continue to be a lot of more delivery centric, uh, type restaurants, uh, folks who are doing significant delivery volumes, um, so it's probably not going to be, you know, the, the dine-in restaurant that does 10 out the back door. Uh, that's probably not for us. But uh, for folks who are, you know, pay first, get food second models that do a lot of delivery, uh, we are great for that. And I can't wait to see it being used by lots and lots of people.
1: That's awesome. And so for for people listening, is it com?
0: Oh, good question. No, yeah. it's Delivery.
1: Okay, there you go. See, this is why I, I asked cause, Okay, good. So, empower dot delivery. Okay, that's good to know. So, for people listening, and you kind of alluded to who would be ideal. So, if if, you, if they have heavy volume, and if you want to add any specifics that maybe you 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 know I didn't mention, but um, people with high volume delivery—that's a substantial part of their business—is there any other kind of criteria that would be ideal? Like, I don't know—is there certain geographies or certain regions yeah. that you or yeah.
0: Well, we can uh, be anywhere in the U.S. Um, yeah. I our team is based in Indianapolis, so if you I want us know. to come visit you, I think if you're in a two and a half hour driving radius of Indianapolis, that's awesome. You know, Ohio, Chicago, Nashville, cool. Lexington, those kinds of places, the team would be very happy to come see it in action. Uh, but we work all over the U.S. and um, again, as as I said, not. Servers, not dine-in, but any place that has pay first, get food second, so like a yeah. fast casual sandwich shop, pizza shop, that kind of thing, uh, especially if they have very high delivery volumes, we're going to fundamentally change the economics of delivery uh, and make it better. Truck as an as a example,
1: yeah.
0: charges no menu markups and no delivery fees. So they're hitting that 7% of sales delivery cost with no menu markups and no delivery fees. What? Right? Why, crazy, As a consumer, yeah. why would you not order that? It's so much cheaper than ordering
1: anything on DoorDash or Uber. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've ordered Chinese and it's just for two people. And I spent like $98. And I'm like, like, what just happened? (laughs) Yeah, what happened? It started off at 30. And then it was like fees and taxes. And I'm like, that's weird. What's this $90 charge on my credit card? Oh, yes, that's Chinese. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And it's yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize obviously the restaurants know, but a lot of people don't realize it's like as the consumer, you're typically eating that cost because you know, there's, they're, they're adding that margin, and so the menu price is, is not the same. Um, it's funny because we had um, Ray Reddy, the CEO of Ritual, and he was saying that was one of the, the core principles at Ritual, which was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, it's just like a pick-up uh, a head app. It was kind of like what Starbucks had for a long time, but like giving that to everyone else. And so you can go in and just pick up your food and, and kind of thing. And obviously now things have changed like post-COVID, but um, really cool app big in a ton of countries and whatnot, but he was just kind of um, alluding to that, that a lot of people don't know, or consumers, I should say, don't know that on these third parties, the menu price is not the same. And it was one of the the things I, I think to this day, but on Ritual, they made sure that the price was always the same. So if you were like looking at the coffee shop and you're on the app, it was actually the same price, which is very hard to do because, you know, restaurants are trying to make certain margins and passing it off to the consumer, right?
0: Yeah, Um, it is amazing to me that consumers are still finding out, like you see these TikToks where people are like, can you believe it? And they're all shocked and you're like, oh my gosh, it's almost 2024. How do you not know that?
1: Yeah, I I thought it was common knowledge too, but it was, he he made me realize like a lot of people don't know. He was like the dirty secret. And they're just
0: finding out. It's quite shocking.
1: Yeah, it's pretty Uh, funny. That's awesome. And so I'd love to hear, obviously, because of your your experience in the industry, in the space, you know, writing that book, working at Taco Bell, what you're doing now with Empowered Delivery. Where do you see, you know, like, sorry, not where. How have you seen, you know, technology reshape the restaurant industry? Right. So we spoke a bit about the 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 delivery side and the first party ordering and and you know uh, that side of things. What other interesting kind of technology have you seen kind of shape? You know the future of uh, the restaurant industry.
0: Well, I think uh, 2023 turned out to be the year of the kiosk, um, <laughs> which is is similar like ordering functionality, um, but in in the actual restaurant. I it seems, seems like every time I turned around, somebody was talking about launching kiosks or <laughs> the results of having kiosks <laughs> in their restaurants. Um, but maybe the the more broad idea there is labor costs continue to go up. They're not going up as much as they were, but labor costs continue to go up. And, you know, I have a vision for the restaurant industry that it will go through a transition very similar to what happened to manufacturing in America, except without all the offshoring of jobs. We won't have that part. But, um, you know, you remember in the old days in manufacturing, people were doing manual labor, repetitive manual labor. And now if you go into a manufacturing plant in the U.S. or in Europe, there's still a few people there, but not as many, and the robots are doing the repetitive manual labor, and the humans are doing all of the troubleshooting, problem-solving, custom work, uh, setting things up, right? It's a little bit different, and the jobs require uh, a little bit more skill, but there's fewer of them, and they're better paid, and I think that will happen in the restaurant industry as well, uh, where... We will actually have fewer restaurant jobs than we do today, but the ones that we have will be a little bit more highly skilled and uh, better paid than what we currently see. I think that will definitely happen. And so most of the uh, big changes to get us there, the first one is around things like kiosks, things like uh, automation in the back of house, which, by the way, automation, you don't have to go full robot to do it. You can start with like a smart oven. Yeah, Um, those types of things, Um, the software, at least the way we do it is a little bit like having um, automation, but through software instead of hardware, right, because we're timing and coordinating all of these things. Uh, So I think those things will get adoption in a big way as we start to see that transformation. And then the next set, I believe, will be uh, kitchens transforming from gas-based kitchens to more electric-based kitchens. Okay. Um. And you know, if you look at someone like Tesla and the electric vehicle that they did, do they love the environment that much? I don't know. I yeah, I can't yeah. say. But what I can tell you is that it's really hard to automate a combustion engine. Really That's hard. Right. It's so much easier to automate electricity because <laughs> it's just ones and zeros, right? It's right. A, <laughs> you know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And. I think that same thing will start to happen in restaurants. It's already happening in some places uh, by law, right? You think of like Berkeley passing the no more no more gas stove law that everyone right. was up in arms about a few years ago. Yeah, But that will start to happen more and more and it will start to happen not just because cities are passing laws but because number one, it is actually more efficient and number two, you could do all this cool automation stuff that is just really right.
1: hard to do with gas. Right. That's super interesting. It's funny. I, I, I had... Um, uh, Kristen Holly from uh, Expedite on the show, and I was just picking her brain on some cool tech she saw. And I'm trying to remember the name. It was, it was, I think it was Chipotle with their like avocado slicer, but it had such a clever name. And I just remember being like, I think there'll be a lot of to her point. It'll, it's really interesting to see some of the automation, and then you kind of alluded to right now too that that'll happening with the kind of repetitive tasks, whether it's an avocado or peeling of potatoes or whatever. But kind of those repetitive things, and it'll be interesting to see where where the the industry goes and what sticks and what doesn't because there, there, there's a ton of technology and I think for some for some people it could be overwhelming especially for restaurateurs right they're being bombarded I think like if you look 10 years ago right like tech was still I mean you know you got your reservation app maybe there was like you know two three modules you kind of thought of in a restaurant your POS maybe your reservation and maybe loyalty was like starting let's say maybe a bit more than 10 years but you get the idea now it's like
0: you everywhere. have a suite
1: of twenty tools, yeah. you know.
0: It's um, everywhere, and it's, and I, I, I view it as like the Frankenstein tech stack, where I was like. I was in a state of emergency because of COVID, and so I added online ordering. But then I realized mm-hmm. that with online ordering and third parties, I needed you know, an aggregator. And then I was like, oh, no, the chargebacks are out of control. So then I needed some <laughs> kind of revenue management system. Oh, my and God. then I thought, well, if I could really get people over to first party, all of this would go away. So I added loyalty. And then and you just keep like discovering so a new problem or opportunity. And then all of a sudden, there you are, 20 SaaS fees later going, yeah, what yeah. have I done? Does this, is, does any of this make any sense? I don't know. Um, and what we really try to do at Empower Delivery is think through the root cause of those yeah. problems and say, why is this happening? And if we can address that root cause with one system, then you don't need that Frankenstein tech stack of all these different things.
1: It's a, it's a super interesting way of thinking about it because, yeah, I think you nailed it. We're always kind of patching things together because it's growing. And it's an interesting perspective to think about that shift, which I think will be for some restaurateurs, might be a hard thing. But I think you know, to your point, like there'll probably be that tipping point of like not necessarily considering the POS the heart, right? Because if you really think about it, I mean, I know now POS has evolved, but when you really think about it, we used to have that that talk internally where it's like it would almost make more sense if, if this was from our point of years ago, but like the back of house, let's say should be the starting point because you're scanning an invoice, you're building the item, you're building. And then from there, then let me push it to a interface where I can sell it. And it's funny how the POS has become the central part, but it's, it's a bit backwards in a way. So it's I think totally that's backwards, what, yeah. what it really
0: should just be is an order entry point, just like your phone is an order entry point. Your right. kiosk is an order entry point. Um, and instead of thinking about that POS being the heart of the restaurant, it should be, I mean, I'm a little bit biased here, but it should be something in, in the back of the house is really the brain of the restaurant.
1: Right. yeah. It's an order management
0: that. system, you know, taking things from all kinds of inputs, putting them yeah, to all kinds cool. of outputs, and then keeping track of everything in a centralized database so that you're able to act on it. Yeah. And that's what makes you able to do all the personalized remarketing. That's what makes you able to do the real-time quote times. Like, everything flows from having all of that data centralized in one place.
1: Love it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and let me ask you this. What, you know, just wrapping up here, what, what would you say is maybe advice um, to entrepreneurs looking to innovate in the space? So as I said, it's pretty crowded space. There's a lot of noise. Obviously, I love what you guys are trying to do at Empower Delivery and like consolidate a lot of it. But for maybe people that are in the space or entering the space and trying to solve some problems, or maybe they are already solving problems, any advice you would share with them?
0: Uh, If you want to start a software company and restaurant, wow! I mean, it's a hard time to do it. First of all, I would (laughs) would say, I don't know if you saw that uh, for Q3, uh, funding in food tech was down 82 percent off its peak. Yeah, I did not see that. I mean, a lot of that was ag tech, um, but still. And a lot of that speaks to how ridiculous, how ridiculously high the funding was um, at peak. So it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's it's. Definitely more difficult now than it was, you know, two years ago, three years ago. Right, right. Um, So you got to make sure that you have something that's truly differentiated from what else is out there. And I would say that means it needs to be a company, not just a feature, right? If you're out there selling a feature, unless you're hoping to get a bunch of people to use the feature and then sell that feature to a company, um, you probably really want to think through, you know, why does someone need me on that list of 20 random SaaS fees that they have? Um, point the first. And then the second, I would say the hardest thing about starting a company is trying to get everyone to believe at the same time, right? So you're trying to, you need to get talent, right? You need some engineers. You got to get them to believe that you're going to get the money to show up. And for the money to show up, you got to believe that The customers are going to show up and for the customers to show up, you got to have them believe that the product works, but then you need some engineers, right? So you're like in this circular thing where you're kind of conjuring everybody and getting everyone to believe at the same time. Uh, And I think that is absolutely the hardest thing about a startup.
1: That's well said. It's funny because I guess that's why one of the things about being a founder is really, you know, they, they say vision, but it, can, it makes sense when you think about it because it's, it's true. you got to convince investors that it's worth putting money and convince your engineers to join and get paid less because you're a startup and you got to join. You know, like, I like to convince the customer to take a risk because you're a new product, let's say, and you're kind of, it's a, it's a really good way of thinking about it. And I think one thing I learned, and just quick, like, tidbit was uh two things one i think you nailed it is is the way i've heard it said uh is don't build a, a vitamin build build a painkiller kind of thing So yeah. like vitamins are cool and it could be like a chrome plug-in and like you could make money there's people who made money on plugins but typically you want to really build a painkiller and for one the other lesson i learned kind of the hard way you know because i've had other startups that have failed um but on, on this journey it's been a lot better but it's trying to get paying customers as fast as possible won't solve all your problems, but solves a lot of them. (laughs) So I realized, like, (laughs) the faster you get paying customers, it's like, it became easier, at least for me, to then recruit, let's say, developers or recruit marketing tech, because they're like, oh, okay, people are paying, okay, cool, you're not crazy. Or raising money, oh, you're paying customers, you know? And I remember being in, at the time, I was in... Tech stars was the first cohort in in Canada at the time. And um we kinda had these sessions where you'd talk to like, you know, advisors or whatever and uh or VCs even. And the first kind of question I would get is like, Yeah, but who would and at the time was bar inventory specifically, and it's like, Yeah, but I can't imagine someone paying more than what, like twenty dollars a month for this and I was like, Oh no, we already got and it wasn't many at the time, but let's say fifty restaurants paying, you know, three hundred bucks a month and that was the best thing I ever did, because I would always see their face and I was like, oh, like pop that bubble. They're now a believer. Like, OK, cool. You've done it. <laughs> so like, all right, next question. So like for people listening, that's just my my little piece of advice is if you can, because some, some tech companies need a ton of funding. But if you can build something that is gets the customer as fast as possible or a paying customer as fast as possible, there's something really magical that happens, at least from what I've seen from my limited experience. So maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe that's something. That I can... think
0: that's true. And I think that's why, you know, again, going back to that MVP idea, why everyone says like, don't overbuild, get an MVP, because if you try to build the perfect thing before you get a customer, that just pushes that date out before you're getting that feedback and you're being able to demonstrate that someone mm. does actually want this and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Right? I love it. I got one more question for you, and then we're going to do all your plugs so we can end off with people knowing where to find you. The last one I got for you is what would you say up until now has been the most um, rewarding part of, I guess, your career? And maybe specifically in the kind of restaurant space, like what has been the most you know, rewarding yeah, rewarding part for you?
0: I'm very proud of building all those Taco Bells and starting to take them internationally. And it's wow. a it's a powerful brand, right?
1: hundred percent. I was going to ask you. What was your favorite dish at Taco Bell or is your favorite dish?
0: Well, my current favorite dish is the cheesy bean and rice burrito, but I take the nacho cheese sauce off and substitute three cheese blend and then I have them grill it. That was very good.
1: I love it. Okay. You got, I feel like that's the inside scoop. I'm going to, next <laughs> time I go, I, I'm going to remember this recording. Very I good. Can... <laughs> also
0: the Mexican pizza with double beans instead of beef. Excellent. Excellent. I yeah, I have lots of little like substitutions. I don't think anyone at Taco Bell actually eats Taco Bell the way that it's on the menu. Probably because we eat it so often that we like <laughs> so change you it. You know around. how
1: to, that's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. So that's um, anyway,
0: so that probably up till now has been um, proudest. But now, as I think going forward with Empower Delivery and what it does, um, like really, it gives the power of all these advanced tech stacks from huge chains. Mm it gives that to independent restaurants and small chains (laughs) and in that way kind of levels the playing field. Yeah. And that to me is very exciting and motivating because there are a lot of independent restaurants and small chains who, you know, with great technology can
1: do great things. love that. Very well said. So, for pe- with that said, for people that want to learn more, we've done a few plugs. But just to wrap it up, Empower Dot Delivery. They can go yep. there. Uh, I'm assuming they can probably book a demo on the website, and then
0: sure can yeah. book a demo, watch a little video, take a tour of the software, all the good
1: things. Love it. Yep. And then, in terms of second plug, if people want to find your book, once again, it would be at uh,
0: thedigitalrestaurant.com. Perfect. And or Amazon, if you if you must, <laughs> if you Amazon. must, yeah, first party, <laughs> no, first sorry. party.
1: Um, okay, no, I love that. Um,
0: and you can also um, hear Carl and I speak every other week on our podcast, which is the digital plan. restaurant um, comes out every Monday and sometimes some bonus copies in between. But we go through the latest news in tech uh, restaurant tech delivery things like that, and talk
1: about what's going on and what it means for restaurants. Love that! So, the digital restaurant, and I'm assuming Spotify, Apple Music, all the typical uh, all the
0: places perfect. Yep.
1: Beautiful. Okay, yeah. well, you heard it here first. Great to have you on this episode, Meredith. You were a wealth of knowledge. Super excited about your journey with Empowered Delivery. It's really, really cool to see what you're doing and how you're thinking of you know transforming. Um, the space so thank you for being on the whisking it all podcast thanks for having me A pleasure beautiful feel free to check out whisk.ai for more resources and schedule a demo with one of our product specialists to see if it's a fit for you